Hey, this is Jabez LeBret, and I just got finished with a really fun, awesome interview with Ryan Folland here at the World of Speakers, and somehow Ryan got me to divulge my best, biggest, most secret secrets, which is awesome, and I love it. So I, I really do encourage you to kind of listen through all the way. We do dive into some, some incredible topics. So thank you guys very much. It was a heck of a show. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast, brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. All right, here we are again, and today I'm excited because I am introducing you to a man who I met while bowling. Yes, that's right, the good old-fashioned bowling, which happens to be one of the best networking tools out there. Because you talk with people and then you have an excuse to leave the group because you've got a bowl and you come back, you see everyone at their emotional highs and their emotional lows. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Jabez Labret. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It was a pretty amazing way to network. There's no way it around was. it. I was like, this is, I need to do more of this network bowling. And I'm not even that into bowling, but I really <laughs> did enjoy it. Yeah, it was great. So what, we were connected by Cameron Brown, who is an amazing person who's doing amazing things out there. And he gathered a bunch of amazing people, just jumped off of a plane from Australia. And that's how we connected. But I really enjoyed our conversation with you and your wife. And it led me to get you on the line here because you are a speaker who speaks around the world. You're grossing in the millions when it comes to speaking fees. And I'm curious to know your tips and how you've built your business. But before all of that, take us back. Where did it begin? And how did you find yourself on the stage? Back, way back. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was one of those weird people. I, I always like to say that something is broken inside me because I was never afraid of public speaking, like the act of speaking. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 didn't, it didn't scare me to get up in front of an audience, but it certainly took me a long time to really hone the craft and become good at something. So there's a big difference between being afraid and being good. My speaking started after college. I went to Gonzaga University and the Jesuits, they ruined me. I mean, they gave me this thing called a conscience and they, <laughs> they made me want to give back to other people. <laughs> right. So, Jam those people. Oh, dang it. They were all my friends were volunteering for these like amazing organizations and doing this great work. And I went into finance and I just wasn't quite feeling fulfilled enough. So I started speaking at high schools and that was my, my first foray into the public speaking world was straight up motivational speaking at high schools. What were you motivating them about? Was it to finish school, to go to college, to not text and drive? Like, was there any particular angle you were going on? Yeah, I, I come from a pretty storied past. I have a fairly broken home. I was homeless when I was 16. I actually didn't graduate from high school, had to go back and get my GED and eventually went on to college. And my presentation was really about how, you know, life is going to happen to you. And that's not what should determine where you're going to go. Hmm. And it was one of those presentations about, look, the whole world could be telling you, you can't do something. And if that is just simply go to college, then you can, you just have to find a, a path and an avenue and you just have to keep working towards it. So it was an hour long assembly, um, you know, really kind of designed to help students realize that they, they are in control of, of driving their, their own good decisions. Hmm. And did you, was that your sort of your pony for a while and you just stayed at the high school level? How did you, how did you break out from that as your platform? It wasn't on purpose necessarily. Uh, it kind of ended up organically moving in different directions. I mean, I did high schools. I, I worked at Nordstrom in their finance 
department for a long time. And they were really, really receptive and awesome in letting me go and speak at high schools while I still worked full time because I would have never been able to have paid the bills. I mean, I was charging like $250 for like a presentation in like Reno, Nevada, you know, and I, and I lived in Seattle. So it was like I was traveling all over the country speaking at these high schools and I wasn't charging hardly anything. So I was kind of going broke doing that, but I, I was able to cut my teeth on a few hundred presentations, you know, in the first several years out of college. And eventually I started getting some more kind of local gigs at organizations and nonprofits and chambers and, you know, any, anywhere that would have me come speak, I would go speak uh, anywhere. And, and it just, you know, from there, I kind of started to realize, oh my gosh, there's people that actually make real money at this. Hmm. Like, like this is a real job for some people which is awesome. Was there a certain moment or certain somebody that you met or a realization? Like what, what made it real for you from like in the real world, just going, wow, this can actually work. Was there a moment? Yeah. I, I had been working a lot with a couple of author speaker groups in town that were more meetup style back in the day. And, and they were getting together and, and there's this gentleman, Patrick Snow, who uh, has helped a lot of individuals learn how to write books. And he and I had kind of become uh, close friends and he was putting on an event with Brian Tracy and for those that don't know Brian Tracy, the famous, um, how to sell pretty much anything, uh, you know, I think Brian Tracy has sold like 47 million copies of his books globally. I mean, something astronomical. Crazy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I get emails from him. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Unbelievable. And so I, I was, as a volunteer, somebody needed to go pick up Brian from the airport for this like random event. And I was like, well, I, I'm not doing anything. I can go pick him up. And so I went and picked up Brian Tracy at the airport. And we had like a 40 minute drive to the event and we just talked in the car the whole entire time. And that was really one of those moments where I was like, oh man, I am missing so many opportunities here by not thinking of this speaking thing as more of a business and less of just a, a hobby. Hmm. Was there anything particular that he told you or was it just, you're talking to this guy and all of a sudden it's real because he's traveling around making so much money. Yeah. It, you know, Brian's whole He's, he's a genuinely nice and caring person. And he, he said, look, you can make a difference in the world and still go build a business. And I think that maybe that was my internal struggle was that I viewed speaking as a charity and not something that I should be charging for. And when he started talking about just the impact doesn't have to mean that you can't make a living. And I realized, oh my gosh, I've accidentally been treating nonprofit as if that's no profit. And that right. really isn't the case. And so I started to step back and take a look at like, well, maybe I got some options here. You know, I'm, I'm pretty decent at this talking thing. Let's, let's see if maybe I can't make something of it, but it, it took a while. That wasn't like suddenly the next year I was banking in, you know, five, eight, $10,000 speaking fees by any stretch. I mean, it took, it took a while to grow. And so you now, uh, do you sort of talk, uh, is it still the motivational concept or now have you moved into the corporate, like where is your journey led to now? What are the keynotes that you give? What are you known for? I got older and wiser. I think at the beginning, motivational speaking was the only thing I was really qualified to do when I was 23. You know, I, I just didn't have quite the life experience that I personally that I needed to have to be able to share what I believe would have been enough value to a group of managers or leaders or something in an organization. I had a really good story. So it was easy for me to lean back on that. As I got older, I started to realize, man, there's these these things that I've learned and I have an ability to share these things. And so there's, there's a way I can teach someone how to go from point A to point B and, and add value and really started to move into this kind of more tactical 
presentation style where uh, we're giving people specifics. And eventually I've moved, I kept getting asked all the time, like, well, I want to know that leadership management communication stuff's great, but I want to know how do I manage the you? And what they meant by that was the young person that's just coming into my company. And for a couple of years, people just kept asking me, well, yeah, but I don't know how to manage this younger generation. This at the time they were Gen Y. And then eventually we became millennials and they were like, we just, I don't know how to manage you or communicate to you. You don't make sense to me. <laughs> and so I started to develop programs. And now for the last, geez, seven years or so, all I've talked about eight years now, all I've talked about really for the most part has been uh, how to, to manage and communicate to the younger generations in the workforce. I love how they're looking at you going, I don't know how to manage you. Like somebody who looks just like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true though. I mean, you know, they had, they, they had a certain amount of, uh, uh, trepidation in the way that they were approaching the younger generations and, and just not sure how to deal with the, I give my opinion, I want to be heard. I'm altruistic. I have, you know, philanthropic, you know, yeah, I'm going to be, you know, work-life balance matters to me. I mean, all of those things that I think millennials live, eat and die by that uh, the older generations were scratching their head with like, well, yeah, but you got to show up to work at, you know, your, your shift starts at 8am. Like that's not, that wasn't a request. That's when it starts. <laughs> right. So there was, a, yeah, there was a lot of work that had to get done and just helping them understand how to communicate more effectively to get the most out of those employees. Very cool. And then I know now you're sort of also into just the larger topic of education and you and your wife are creating this amazing free tuition or tuition free school that's in San Diego. And tell us a little bit about that. Did that, it, you know, did your experience and your speaking and the impact, has that led you to this sort of higher goal of, of educating people who are maybe wouldn't otherwise have that chance? Certainly feel that, that when you look back, sometimes there's a point in life where you go, holy crap, everything I have done up to now has absolutely pointed me and positioned me for the, this moment right here, right now. And that's, that's really where we're at, where we decided we're going to embark on this crazy mission. You know, my wife left her job in the, the tech world up in San Francisco, and I left my company that I had started six years ago. And we both decided to jump down this rabbit hole of education. And ultimately we looked back and said, Hey, you know, what kind of students should we be serving? And I was like, there's this pocket of students that just don't have access to help. And they need it because they're not doing well in school. And it's not because they're not capable. It's because life is happening to them in the background. And so if I look back to my original speaking days, the early days where I was, you know, blazing the trail out there talking to schools all over the place about, you know, to the students saying, hey, those of you that life's happening to go out there and get it. And I said some for some of those students, they still need some more help. So that's why we've embarked on this project for this tuition-free private boarding school to really, you know, take high school students that are not doing well, they're disengaged in the system and help them, you know, find that passion, find that vision and, and learn what entrepreneurship is and discover how to fail in a good way and that that's a positive thing and, and really kind of try to move the needle forward in our community by helping this certain segment of students. Now, is public speaking going to be part of the curriculum? <laughs> Always. Public speaking is a part of it. should be a part of everything. So, yeah, I, I, obviously our students will, of course, go through public speaking because it, it's just so important and so fundamental to being able to get further along in life in general. No matter what you do, even if you work at a company, being a good public speaker makes you better at being able to communicate internally and certainly to be able to communicate externally. And, and, you know, even public speaking is a huge part of how we're building this whole entire project. 
you know, I'm on the road out there speaking at conferences and speaking at groups and giving presentations. And I, if I had waited until now to learn how to do that, I wouldn't be nearly as far ahead as I am now having spent 14 years, 15 years speaking already. Now being so integrated into that educational community and just, I'm sure the research that you've done far outweighs most people who are listening to this. What is your opinion on kind of the current state of education when it comes to the soft skills of speaking? Have you found that it's really not being covered like it should, or is it in some places and not? I'm just kind of curious from a, from a holistic perspective, where do we stand right now from an educational system really building these core communication skills? We suck. <laughs> it's not, you know, it, it's not out of a lack of desire. So the, one of the big issues is you take a, a public or a charter school, for example, or even private schools, they have all the best intentions in the world of teaching what a lot of people would call soft skills, but we kind of refer to them as the power skills, like networking and sales and public speaking. Like those are the things, communication, understanding your emotions. Those are power skills in life. Yeah. Those are the things that really help you get to that next level. What they don't have, and, and this is just a part of the system, they don't have time. So if you think about a normal public school that, you know, high school, and they're going bell to bell Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 3, and where do you find the extra time to teach some of these skills that are really, really important and are crucial to someone's success? What ends up happening is they kind of punt it to college, and they just expect that everybody's going to go to college, and and then they can take speech class when they get there. Right. And to be honest, that's not the speech class in college isn't even really the best, most efficient, and I think uh, strongest curriculum around public speaking, for example. So for us, we're really fortunate. Being a boarding school, we have a lot of time. There are some organizations that are after-school programs, some organizations that are going in schools during lunch hours and certain things to try to help bridge some of these gaps into some of these power skills. And that's really encouraging, but that also requires some extra resources and time. So it's a struggle. You know, I mean, I, I... I don't blame the system for not being able to produce the results when they have so many other things that they have to check off that checklist. I think we need to reevaluate our checklist is what we need to do. Right. Well, hey, and it all happens one bite at a time, right? If you're eating an elephant, that's the way it goes. So, you know, (laughs) props to you and your lady for basically creating the next hub of higher trained, power skilled people in the world because we need that. Yeah, thank you. No, we're really excited about it. I mean, it's, it's and we hope to help the other types of schools, you know, we want to share our data and share our information and resource. I mean, we're big open source, so we think more people should be. Hence, you exactly are a great example of this. You're someone who we sit down and talk with and you immediately start sharing resources and ideas and connections. And you were like, hey, you got to connect with this person and you have to go meet these people and you need to read about this program. I think that kind of open source mentality as a speaker, as a educator, as a human being, as someone in the workplace, that approach is just going to get you further along. Totally. It's an abundance mindset. And, and I love to connect people that I think can add value to each other. And uh, I'm, I'm big on the educational space. So it, it is fun to give as many contacts and intros as I can in that. Just so for anybody listening who's, who's somewhat piqued about this as a topic, how do they find out more or how do they get in touch with you about that specifically? Because I know you're raising money for it and it's an entrepreneurial school. For the people that are listening, if there happens to be that one person that might be the best connection, where would they find out more info on this boarding school you've got? Yeah, we, we always say we love to connect with people that are passionate about education, whether that's on the donor side or doing something cool in education. And they can find us at Sisu Academy. That's S-I-S-U 
academy.org. And we are 501c3, and we're just out here trying to make an impact. And they can email me directly if they want, just jabez at sisuacademy.org. Very cool. All right. So let's assume that we have a World of Speakers Academy. And it's for all of those people who wish they had the power, the power tools to make those soft skills sharper. And you were the instructor, and you have a certain amount of time to deliver the highest and best value information to give people what they need to get out there and just crush it like you've done over the last 15 years. What would be your advice for speakers or your tips from the actual presentation standpoint or from a tactical standpoint that you can save them time by being the open source teacher right now? Two big things kind of jump out in my mind. One of them is develop a speaker tool belt. And that's something that I I talk to people a lot about that are trying to get into speaking or want to really take it to the next level. And, And for me, that is all of those things that you need in the moment while you're talking or you're in the middle of a conversation with a meeting planner or whatever the scenario is that you can pull out your tool belt, no matter what's happening. Like a good example is what do you do if your slide deck like freezes or what do you do if your mic goes off or what do you do if somebody's cell phone rings or what do you do if you get a heckler in the crowd or what do you do if you say something wrong or what do you do when you tell a joke that's not funny? You need to have a tool belt of different answers and solutions, multiple answers and solutions to every single possible thing that can happen in the room at the time. Hmm. I have this, I have this total visualization of like of a cartoon sketch with you and like, like everything popping out of this crazy tool belt, right? <laughs> so initially when you're talking, I was thinking, okay, if you're at a networking meeting and you meet somebody who's maybe an event planner, you like whip out your business card that's in your belt and then they need to book an appointment. You're like, well, here's my scheduler, but this is more so when you're actually speaking like live. It is particularly impactful live. Okay. Very cool. Like in the room, because here's what, so here's what happens, right? You've got this room and let's say you've got anywhere from 20 people to 2000 people. It doesn't make a difference. The audience size you're on stage, you're talking, you're delivering your message and something happens that was unplanned that you just did not anticipate how you respond has a major impact on your ability to effectively communicate for the rest of your presentation. Mm. And that's where your tool belt comes in handy. So plan for the worst and hope for the best, but have a tool for all the rest. Yeah, I plan for everything. Like, and, and I mean, it, it takes a long time. You can't, you can't figure out all of the possible problems ahead of time. But for years, I continue to work on adding tools to this tool belt. And a lot of that's observation. Like I watch other speakers handle situations that pop up to them. A lot of it's trial and error. When I'm in the room and something happens, I try something and see if it works. And then I try it again the next time and see if it works. You know, I think kind of the key to this, if somebody hasn't picked up on it, is volume. You have to be watching a lot of speakers speak and you have to be speaking a lot. And and that's partly why I would speak anywhere at the beginning. I just would speak anywhere. Anywhere that had me speak, I'd go. And a lot of that was so I could build my tool belt. Hmm. Nice. You're getting the uh, the actual experience leads to the real-time challenges that happen on stage that you then create these tools, throw them in your belt and you become more polished or just not necessarily more polished, but more prepared to handle the situations that go wrong, which they will go wrong. Always. And and let me give you a couple of examples to make it a little more tangible. So when you're in the room and somebody's cell phone goes off, it is bound to happen and it's okay. And there's lots of ways you can respond to it. You can ignore that the cell phone's going off. That's fine. No problem. But that's kind of the generic response. My favorite response is I tell the person, I'm like, oh, you should pick that up. I was like, that's God just calling to confirm my last point. (laughs) That's a good one. Everybody 
chuckles. Yeah, everybody laughs in the room. I help the person not feel embarrassed. I acknowledge it's okay. I'm not upset about it. It's fine. Phones ring. It's no big deal. Right. But I also am getting everybody's attention back on me because that's my job as a speaker is to be the one to guide the room. And if I'm supposed to be guiding the room in this you know, presentation journey, then I need them paying attention to me. And if I want them to split off into groups and talk to each other, that should be something I am facilitating, something I am leading. But I certainly don't want another distraction to be taking away from whatever message we're talking about. So that's a moment for me to, to recapture. Another good example is sometimes I'll try to, to share a joke. Now, there's two kinds of jokes from the stage. There are people who are able to tell jokes, and I'm not one of those people. Then there are people that are able to be situationally funny. Like they kind of like say something in the moment that's kind of funny. And that's more my speaking style, a bit more casual, a little bit more situational. But sometimes it falls totally flat. I was given a presentation to, to 1,200 lawyers just last week in Alabama. And sure enough, I said a joke and it went nowhere. I mean, crickets. <laughs> and so I looked out to the room and I go, well, that was a joke that apparently wasn't funny and I will never say it again. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, everybody laughs. It's a little self-deprecating. And next thing I know, I got the laugh that I wanted. Right. Everybody's attention's back and we're moving forward. Hmm. This is good. I can see you writing a very long form blog post or a book or something because I can see that toolkit being of value. But I think people without the experience probably don't know the exact situations to come up with. You could even create a like a pop quiz where here's the situation, sort of multiple choice, and you could get people to realize that they either are or are not prepared for these situations because it's a they only pop up when you're on stage and if people are trying to get more stage time, they might not be prepared for it. You just inspired me to write a speaker select a quest novel. Oh, <laughs> yes. Like the old uh, choose your own adventures. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. That's a blast from the past right there. Yeah. So how fun would that be? Oh, this is awesome, right? You could uh, <laughs> do you a turn away from the audience and run to the other side. Of the room. And then you actually do it. Then you, you check, turn to page 36 and then you're like, okay, so you've run yeah. out of the theater. What are you going to do now? <laughs> yeah. You ran out of the theater. Your mic went off in the process. The meeting planner freaked out. Unfortunately, you never got hired again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So let's take this. And you know, the other gentleman that was at the bowling, who was the communications guy that has the avatar system that trains military on culture and stuff. Yes. yes. So we should talk with him and make it an avatar sort of playing game where you can maybe see yourself on stage in front of a crowd and then the actual things happen and you really choose a real time. And then like you see the avatar running off if that's the case or whatever. <laughs> this is awesome. I like it. I love how we just gave ourselves this mammoth, awesome project, but that's always exciting. Yeah, totally. We'll just put it right on the list, like right below things that we have to do. <laughs> Right below open boarding high school. Finish select the quest novel for speakers. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Hashtag. What are you going to call it? And then we'll, we'll make it live on Twitter to some extent. What do you want to call this? The, you had a good name. Speaker, oh, speak your yeah. own adventure. Speaker venture. Oh, there you go. Speak your own adventure. Yeah. Hashtag speak your own adventure. And then it'll be coming out soon. <laughs> Very cool. So this tool belt concept that we now know is, is going to be a behemoth in the near future. What are some of these other main things? You said there was two. What was another one that was floating around in your brain? The second big one is don't wait until you need it to start the process. And this is something that 
like got ingrained in me early on in my career. And it was like, there's so many applications to this concept, which is like for one, your social media presence. Don't wait until you need a social media following to build your social media presence. Don't wait to have a tool belt. Like don't wait until something goes wrong in the room to start building your tool belt. Don't wait to start producing content until you need the content. Like you have to start now and you have to get kind of ahead of where you're at. So you always have to be a half a step of where you're actually at in your production of what you're doing and what you're learning and where you're going and how you're pushing yourself. Because otherwise when you get there and you need it, it's not there. You don't have enough for whatever that application is. So it's interesting because, you know, in one respect, you're talking about have the tool belt that is preparation for what can go wrong, but you learn what goes wrong when it goes wrong. And to boot, the information is to really look ahead of what's going to happen to be prepared so that you're not reactionary when it comes time. So like those two combined, I can see as a major accelerant for someone who's serious about speaking. And you can guess about some of the problems. You know, there's some basics that you know are about that are likely to happen. Technology issues with your slide deck. If you have a slide deck and that slide deck is important for your presentation, you should be prepared for either A, the slide's not working at all at the beginning, or B, the slide's failing halfway through. So how are you going to handle that? Well, write down, you know, maybe a couple of different options for how you think you can handle that scenario. And that's thinking half a step ahead. And so writing down what goes on in a presentation and what goes on in the process of presenting will help you begin to identify what some of those hiccups might be before they occur. You know, like the first, <laughs> the, <laughs> this is going to be a good one. <laughs> oh man. Sometimes you scratch your head. I was speaking, I, this woman who has hired me to speak now at my fourth event, she is amazing. She is super busy. And so she is all over the place. She flies almost as much as I do. And she ended up booking me for a presentation on my contract in Austin, Texas. And the night before the presentation, I discovered the presentation was in Dallas. Well, that's not exactly close. <laughs> so, so I had to on the fly, figure out how to be in Dallas in the, the next morning for the opening keynote for this organization. Now, had I not been already prepared to know ahead of time that the day before the event, I go through a, my own internal checklist of event logistics, I probably would have missed it and shown up to the wrong hotel in the wrong city. Right. And so that's just trying to be prepared ahead of time and anticipating what may happen. The other side of this coin that I think is huge is, is just the following, building your following before you need your following. And you always think like, oh, I just need a bigger following now. Well, yeah, I mean, no kidding, but that takes work, right? You got to start building today. You can't just wait till you've got it. Yeah, and you actually have to sort of lead in some sort of effort so that people follow, right? It's a whole kind of catch-22 where you are prescribing a very proactive approach as opposed to a reactive approach. And I would assume that, like most things in life, it's just small degrees of difference that creates a huge difference in the end. Like on a compass course, if you're sailing you know, two degrees off, you do that for <laughs> a, few, <laughs> a few hundred miles, and now you're completely in a different territory. Yeah. I mean, so it, it starts with trajectory and, and that is, that's that little incremental steps that you have to take into kind of moving yourself from point A to point B. And for me, a lot of that boils back down to that kind of contribution approach where I give first and that's give with content, give with, you know, open source, I share, I connect, I, you know, do all of that work ahead of time 
so that I have the opportunities when they arise. Same goes with followings and content. I produce a lot of content before I have an audience and you just keep producing content. And then the audience starts to follow and starts to build. Then when you need to change projects, you know, you've got yourself a built-in audience of followers that appreciate what you're doing as a person. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a new word like the follow foundation, like a follow followation or something like that. Build your followation. <laughs> Baseation. <laughs> I don't know. Something like that. Right? Build your baseation. What's your baseation? I'm glad you asked. Let's talk. <laughs> oh, thank you. I've been cultivating my baseation for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the fact that your advice is simple. It's that speak at every opportunity you can, but at those opportunities, be as prepared as possible. And then in between seeking opportunity, grow a following so that as you gain traction, you have a base that you can respond to and that you can build off of versus sort of starting it at square zero and then just hoping that people will end up finding out what you're doing. And we often tend to look at people and think like, oh my gosh, look, they got so successful so fast. And I think we all know that's not true. Nobody gets successful fast. Right. We want to believe that it's true, right? It sounds good because it makes us seem like our path might be shorter to the same point. Right. We all wish. Yeah. I think a lot of people are looking for shortcuts, but it's always refreshing when I hear people saying, look, you know, this has been the slow road to success. It's been 15 years and it's something that is to be respected because I think just like most things in life, the more you do blank, the better you get at blank. So if you want to get good at blank, do more of blank. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's usually not rocket science. I think the problem is the allure of the lottery ticket. You know, that idea that maybe I will be the one who hits it big. And, you know, I think that Bright Eyes, the uh, musician, has a line in his song where he talks about, you know, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather work every day instead of wait to win the lottery. And so I'd, I'd rather work on my craft and my speaking and my, you know, learning how to build that tool belt and, and creating content and giving the content away for free. I'd rather work on all that every single day than wait to win the lotto and hope that all of a sudden I just get, you know, speaking gigs raining down on me day in and day out, out of nowhere. Yeah. And if, if you did win the speaking lotto per se, you might find yourself ill-prepared and, you know, unaware of a lot of the mistakes that you could have learned in the process of the slow road to that growth. So I think that's good. This is all inspiring stuff for the World of Speakers Academy open source, which just happened here. So building on to the building a business platform within this World of Speakers Academy that you've just now built, I want to hit some of these things that you've talked about just in our conversation that really rings a bell. Things like how you've been building your base and your following writing for major publications, how you basically leave with 98% of the contacts in the room. And I'm very curious to look at the open source of your sales process such that you've, you know, your speaker fees are in the millions, which is, sounds like a lottery ticket. So where do I sign up? <laughs> Man, sign up, reverse the clock 15 years. No, it's not. it doesn't always take that long for everybody. I, I really had so many other things going on uh, that I think that you could build up faster if it was your primary focus. Right. The content of the fence is one of my favorite pieces, especially writing for major publications. Everybody wants to write for Forbes or Inc. or Entrepreneur, you know, HBR. The problem is you have to start out in a, a little easier market first. And so people get discouraged. I know lots of speakers who are like, yeah, I've applied to speak at these places and they all say no, or I can't even get in a contact or could you connect me? And I'm like, well, where have you written? And they're like, well, I haven't. 
And I say, well, they don't hire people who haven't written before. Go start with your local affiliate. And the the key here is that everybody wants content and they want they want good content and they want it for free. Where that works to your advantage, my first like kind of major publication tier one uh, publication writing gig was with NBC Chicago. And NBC Chicago wanted people to write for their blog on business. I was like, I'll do it. And they're like, we need 400 words a week. I was like, done. Hmm. Every single week, I gave them 400 words, didn't collect a dime. But I had three years and, you know, however many 74 pieces of content on NBC under my name. And that gave me a heck of a lot of, of ability to start to leverage that into other writing opportunities. And that's because I invested the time and energy knowing that there was going to be a long-term play here. It, it wasn't for short, short-term gain by any stretch. And then you would success stack that and you would basically propose to write for other publications and then you'd be able to point backwards and say, well, look what I've done here. And then sort of like a snowball effect, essentially. Yeah. So it started off really, really small. I talked to NBC's editors and I said, hey, I've, I do these things. These are the things that I'm good at. You know, they were like, we need this kind of content. Would you be willing to write for us? I was like, yes, these are the kinds of things I talk about. Let's let's connect. So just reach out to your local ABC Fox, NBC, CBS, find that local blog in your own city, that news station that has any sort of content at all that's produced by contributors. The key is contributors, not staff or journalists, because you're not technically a journalist, probably. So you want to make yourself a contributor that gives you a more opinion based side. And then as you continue to develop more and more content, you approach other networks. So like when I went to Forbes and I said, hey, Forbes, I would like to write for you. I have 74 pieces on NBC. I have a piece in the ABA journal. I have three pieces in these international publications and I have one piece in this other King five network over in Seattle. And I want to write for you. They were much more open to the idea of giving me publisher access than they would have been. If I came and said, I've got my own blog on LinkedIn. Right. Or just that I've spoken hundreds of times. And I think this is interesting because your question to a new speaker is how much have you written? But it might be counterintuitive because they're thinking, well, I've spoken at all these places, but we're talking about writing. So again, what the connection between writing and speaking, you're saying is important to have the writing as a foundation to build the credibility to get haloed in with the Oprah effect of these major publications that raises your status as a speaker. And so many positive things. You're absolutely correct. And so many positive things come from being a writer for a publication. I don't generally pay for conferences because I get to go write about that conference. So I can go attend the conference under a press credential, and then I produce articles about the conference, which means I'm probably interviewing people at the conference who are other speakers. Even if I'm speaking at the conference, I oftentimes will cover that conference from a journalistic perspective and write about it. I get opportunities when I'm reaching out to meeting planners to say, yeah, I've got my, my finger on the pulse of what's going on in this industry because I talk to all the people that are big movers in the industry because... I'm a journalist for Forbes and I write on these topics. Right. And that just gives you that extra layer of who are you going to hire this other speaker who all they do is speak, or are you going to hire me who I speak and I have all these other connections that I learn from and I go to all these other events and I do these other things. And so that's kind of part of your, comes part of your marketing. Plus you get a lot of notice, like people notice you when you write a lot and that helps just naturally organically bring in more, more business. Now, do you ever leverage your ability to write with these publications to negotiate as an extra added bonus, say, pay my honorarium XYZ, and I'll also cover the event, even though I'm speaking? Do you do you negotiate like that at all? 
No, uh, you could if you were writing for a blog. Okay. And that blog had a, a, allowed you to do that. So there would be some blogs that would be open to that. All of the major media publications, it, it is completely 100% against all the guidelines, rules, and in some cases against the law for me to take monetary incentive in exchange for producing content. Good to know. So I'm not allowed to get paid to write, but that that keeps up the integrity of the writing, right? Sure. So when I write something, the people reading it know I was not compensated to write this thing. Totally, totally. It, it means that I genuinely am writing about it. And there's that gives it even more weight and more gravitas. And I will absolutely give up any extra amount of honorarium in exchange for the exposure that I get to be able to write. Right. And so it's kind of that you give up one side to get to get the other. Right, as in R-I-G-H-T to the W-R-I-D-E. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, so that's all great info. So that was I had a similar path where I was at UCI and um, running an entrepreneurship center and Tech Day News had reached out for students to blog on their behalf. I tried all that I could. I tried everywhere and no student would do it. And so I was like, well, if nobody's going to do it, then I'll just do it. And so I ended up writing like 50 or 60 articles for Tech Day News. Same thing, getting into conferences, meeting some of these high profile speakers. And then all of a sudden, you know, that led to XYZ and have written in Fortune and featured in all these publications. But yeah, you're right. Starting at that tier one or even a tier 0.5 to just start that process. And I don't think a lot of speakers make that connection because they're so focused on the speaking. So that's a great tip. So when you got this gig and you're there in front of your 200 to 1200 to 2,555 people, what is your trick to leaving with 98% of the contacts? Because that sounds like a golden jewel gem that a lot of people want to know. Well, I don't do events for less than 2,554 <laughs> speakers, so I'm glad that we hit <laughs> that minimum. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> No, and, and it really doesn't matter your audience size. One of the things that we built into our process for capturing contact information in the room is my business partner and I, in the legal space, this most recent application has been in the legal space, we wrote a book about everything that we do. So if you can imagine, it's kind of a, a process book about these are all the answers. Here's all the secret sauce. Here's everything that you need to know. We've learned that people typically will read your book and they won't go do it all. So it's okay to tell everybody all your quote secrets. Because at the end of the day, if they did do them all and it worked, I think that's pretty awesome too. Hmm. Because then they'll go out, they'll be your biggest advocate, right? They'll run around saying like, oh man, you got to check this out. These, these things really work. Like they actually know what they're doing. So what we did, and we made the first, our first mistake. So we had this, you know, shiny 234 page book book. I mean, it was like a book and we would go out to these events and we'd give the book away for free because that, you know, people love that. They just love getting a book for free. And we, would, I'd bring these boxes. I mean, it'd be like three or four boxes of these heavy, heavy books. They were like 29 pounds each. And I know that because we had to pay for shipping for each one of them. <laughs> and I'd be lugging around these 30 pound boxes of books to these events. And then we'd hand out all the books and people would say, great, thanks. And then occasionally they'd give us a business card. I'm like, well, this sucks. Like we're giving away all of this stuff and I'm barely getting contact information from these people. One day it hit us like a ton of bricks. We're like, well, we have an ebook, but we also have a paperback. Maybe people want the choice between ebook or paperback. So we now hand out a form that simply says, do you want a paperback or an ebook? Give us your contact information and we'll send you the book. And about a third of our audience has been getting the ebook and about two thirds has been requesting the paperback book. 
The point is by offering either the paper version or the e-version of whatever it is that you're giving away, you've now made the choice of the, the contact collection is for a choice, not because you're quote collecting contact information. Right. And that psychologically is a pretty big distinction, which is why we're getting our, I mean, 98% is off the charts and we've thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands of people through this process. So it's data, the data sound, you know, and we figure that 2% is people that are maybe share an office. <laughs> so they're like, well, we don't need two. Why don't you just get the book and I'll just read it from you. Right. So like, who's this 2% that's not taking us up on this offer. I've, I've, that's kept me up at night, but I've tried to not let it, but it, it, it's, uh, I think it's the fact that the psycho- psychological choice is I'm choosing ebook versus paperback or e, you know, e version versus white paper, paper version. So is this an actual physical form that you pass out? Like you pass out and then you collect physical paper form. It's a half page form. It's got name, address, email. Would you like to sign up for a newsletter? Yes or no. Do you want the e version or the paper version? check the box. And then I hand them out during the presentation. And then I collect them during the presentation. Now I'm going to get more particular, unpack this. When specifically do you pass them out? Because, you know, when you hand somebody something before you talk, they're maybe looking at it. So like, is it during the Q and a, or is it, um, how do you particularly do that? Cause I can see there being a skill within when to choose. So my presentations are all pretty much structured the same. The intro is me saying hello. And this is what we're, you know, thanking everybody. This is what we're going to talk about. I share a personal story about myself. I feel like if your audience doesn't know you, they don't listen to you. Once I'm done sharing a personal information about myself, I might give some credentials why I'm there. And then I say, hey, and as part of this, as a big bonus, and everybody thank your meeting planner, give them a big round of applause. We were able to negotiate a deal where everyone here gets a free copy of our book. I make the meeting planner look good. Nice. The audience gets excited. And I'm like, right now we're going to hand out forms. Depending on the size of the audience, depends on how the forms get handed out at that moment. So maybe I'll have four volunteers who are walking down the aisle, handing them out. Maybe I'll walk down the aisle in the smaller rooms. You know, if there's 40 people there, yeah, yeah. I'll just walk down the aisle with the forms and I'll just hand off, you know, and I just keep talking. Right. So I, and then I just start talking about what we're going to be going through throughout the day and in the next 45 minutes or whatever it might be. And I'm handing, you know, stacks of the forms. I'm like, here, you know, here's a book form to fill this out and that way I can get it back. Then I go through the entire presentation, which is always heavy value. None of this, like leaving out pieces, I give everything and I just walk you through everything that I have that I can give you that you can learn. And then near the end, right before Q and a, I'm like, all right, I need everybody to take those book forms, hand them to the end. And we're going to pick those up real quick. Cause I want to make sure that you get your book. And then I collect them. Then I go into Q and a brilliant, brilliant, sir. And that's pretty much every single presentation. Yeah. I love how there's a, just an, an actual offline component to it as well. Right. You're like here, fill it out. You get it. And then the opportunity cost of you, you've got this person, you've got whether or not they're going to be on your mailing list. Uh, hopefully they choose the ebook. And if not, You've got a little cost for the shipping or whatnot, but pretty solid. Well, it's all marketing costs, right? For our legal business, we knew that every single form we handed out cost us $16.34, and they were worth $217 each. Right. Brilliant. So it's a long-term play. You've got to understand your numbers really well and your margins to know how much does it cost you to mail out a book. And so let me, can I, can we walk through the kind of the sales process? Would that be, do we have enough time for that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's see. Here's a challenge. Uh, can you do it in three minutes? Just because three is my favorite number and it's the best number ever and my numerology number, but here's a three minute breakdown of the sales process that will potentially bring you in boatloads of money as you provide boatloads of value. Let's hear it. All right. We all know that it takes multiple touches before you should be even asking for the close of the sale. So let's walk through the touch points and see where this process plays in. Number one, they see that you're going to be speaking. 
flyer goes out, whatever, that's touch point number one. Number two, you speak, that's touch point number two. Number three, you take their form that they filled out. You have an admin call them to verify their physical address or information. That's it. The call is only a verification call saying, hey, I got your form. Just wanted to make sure I can read everything correctly and got everything down right. That's touch point number three. Touch point number four is you send them your thing. And that includes newsletters or whatever it is that you're sending, whether that's the ebook or the physical thing. Touch point number five is that you call to verify receipt of said good. So I sent you something for free. We're building reciprocity here and we're building you know, awareness. And so that's another touch point number five. And then touch point number six is I notice something that you need to talk about whatever your your product is that's your point where you start saying hey i want to talk to you about something that i see you're deficient here you're not doing this as well as you could be doing this here's some tips on how you could do whatever you're doing better you know here's 15 things i see that you need to fix with what's going on or 15 things that you're doing really well and how you can accelerate those that's touch point number six touch point number seven is then you you call them back and ask for the close bam you know, I thought three was my favorite number. It might have to be seven now, right? Three plus three plus one is still seven, so that's cool. But, well, that's a very logical way to look at it. I mean, it's not rocket science. Yeah, it's just a bunch of random built-in on-purpose touch points that are non-offensive. On-purpose touch points. <laughs> I like that. On-purpose touch points, right? <laughs> and I think that a lot of speakers aren't really reaching out after the fact, or if they do, maybe they go for the close too early. But that's a very clear concise seven-step procedure. And I'm assuming people can tweak that accordingly, but that could be applied to a number of different information products or different uh, workshop components, whatever it is, the problem that you're solving, you're putting a solution in people's hands. And uh, it's a very non-aggressive rapport building touchpoint system. Yeah, it leads to better clients too. I mean, you end up with the clients that you didn't force into the sale that end up sucking in in the long run. Right, or who end up being the the 20% that create 80% of the problems according to the Pareto Principle. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, very cool. Um, I feel like I've gone to school today or to more of an academy. And I uh, <laughs> instead of a board, boarding school, I'm, I'm able to just be here at home. So that's great. Well, I'm going to try to implement these. And I'm challenging everybody else out there to do the same. Now, Jabez, if anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get you? Uh, I'm big on Twitter. Love LinkedIn. Uh, so Jabez Labret, J-A-B-E-Z-L-A-B-R-E-T. And then, of course, if you want to email me, it's just Jabez at org. Very cool. Well, sir, keep up the great work. Uh, hopefully we'll share a stage sometime or go bowling soon or I'd love to. figure out something to connect it. But uh, I'm, I'm excited to help how I can. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. It was fantastic. All right, everybody, go back and listen to old episodes. If you haven't already, go forward into time and get ready for more podcasts as they come out. This is Ryan with the World of Speakers. Jabez, I'm super pumped. I'm ready to go. Telling stories to change the world while you support the educational system of people speaking, all while touching your clients seven times to close the sale. (laughs) All right, well, we'll see you around town and uh, most likely on Twitter, sir. You have a great day now. Take care. Thank you.